the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. And I'm your host, Nick DeGilio. Here we are, uh, episode number 122 on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hey, you want to be a part of this podcast as an advertiser? We reach a lot of people. So uh, you should probably advertise your product here or be a sponsor. Contact us. Say, hey, I want to uh, sponsor. Sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to leave a voicemail 24 7. We encourage everybody to leave voicemails, feedback, anything you want to say to us. The voicemail is open 773 417 6948 or send us an email anytime you want with any questions or comments uh, or anything. Uh, NickDPodcast at gmail.com. And that phone number and that email address is also where you send your requests for the magic megaphone message. Yes, I will do an exclusive magic megaphone message for you. So, voicemail, 773-417-6948. Email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Coming up, my good friend, Esmeralda Leon, who joins me on every episode, will join me in the last part of the podcast to talk about uh, some uh, myth-busting celebrity rumors. A lot of rumors out there that just aren't true, and we're going to bust open those myths. we got another Magic Megaphone message uh, directly from you. We get a ton of these, and if you want one, an exclusive one that you can hear <laughs> through the megaphone, just let us know. Uh, the Kit Kat taste tests come to a close uh, today with Esmeralda, uh, and also Jim Ryan is going to join us. He is our t- he is our movie movie. Jesus Christ, I can't even get him straight. He is a music critic. He goes to concerts. He interviews musicians. He got some really incredible interviews here, and uh, some music reviews and some concerts. We're going to talk music in general with Jim Ryan from Forbes and the Daily Herald to talk uh, music. And that is all coming up right here on the podcast. Also, we have a live, another live event. We do this monthly at Zany's in Rosemont, Illinois. And this one is a real special one. It's on Tuesday, March 28th. And our special guest, me, Esmeralda, on stage, doing comedy, having laughs, interactive with the audience. You'll win some prizes. We'll ask some trivia. You will be part of a live podcast recording. My dad, my 81-year-old dad, is going to get up and tell jokes. It's going to be just as fun as the other three times we've done it. We have regulars who come out. It is an absolute two-hour blast of fun and comedy and really cool stuff and live podcast recording at Zany's in Rosemont. Tuesday, March 28th is the next one, and we always have a special guest, and it doesn't get more special than this. Rich Codes is going to be live with us on stage. You will be in the same room with the one, the only, Sven Gulli, the legendary Rich Codes, will be on stage with us. We'll talk to him for well over an hour. And he will be there, and we'll do a Q&A. And Rich Coe's the legend, the one, the only. Sven Gulli will be there live. Get your tickets now. It's a one-night-only thing. And if you've never seen Rich, if you've never met Sven Gulli, if you've never uh, you know, spent some time with him, he's one of the greatest people in the world. And if you're a Sven Gulli fan, you have to get your tickets now. Live on stage, Zanies in Rosemont, Tuesday, March 28th. Rich Coe's will be part of the Nick D Podcast Live 
uh, at uh, Zanies and Rosemont. Get your tickets now. Rosemont.zanies.com. The tickets are on sale now. They're going to go. It's Sven Gulli. You want to see him. You want to be there. You want to hear this conversation. It's going to be amazing. And my dad's going to get up on stage with Rich Coes and tell jokes. That alone should be enough for you to get you your, your butt uh, going. Or you can call the box office. 847-813-0484. 847-813-0484. Sven Gulli live. Zanies in Rosemont, Tuesday, March 28th. Get your tickets now, rosemont.zanies.com. It's going to be amazing. Uh, what will not be amazing? Well, uh, it is Friday, and we are leading into the weekend of the Academy Awards. Yes, the 95th Academy Awards will be handed out on Sunday this weekend. Depending on when you're listening to this, obviously, the podcast, you can listen to it anytime you want. But if you're listening to it as we post it, or you know, a couple of days after, uh, it is uh, before the Academy Awards. And the Academy Awards, you know, me being a movie critic, a professional film critic for over 37 years now, um, I follow the Oscars. I watch the Oscars every year, um, usually with very, very, uh, you know, uh, I'm very excited about them, and I have a lot of interest, and I'm curious, and, I'm, and it's going to be fun. Uh, and I have to say, in the 37 years that I've been covering movies professionally, and in the 50-some years that I've been watching movies and even as a kid watching the Academy Awards, I can't think of a year that I am less excited about. Um, this is, without question, in my memory, the absolute worst year for the Academy Awards I've ever seen. There are 10 nominated movies. I like two of them. I love one of them. I hate seven of them. Of the 10 movies that are nominated, seven of them suck, they're terrible, they're lousy, they have no business being nominated in any category that includes the word best. Um, And in the acting categories, there's at least two or three nominees in each category that don't deserve to be nominated. In all of the categories, there are at least two or three nominees where it's like, how in God's name does this get nominated? It is without question the worst year for the Academy Awards that I can remember in my 57 years on this planet. Um, I have never been less excited. I've never been less interested in the outcome. I don't care. Now, I will watch it because it's the Oscars and I'm a film critic. And, you know, I'm on the radio on WLS AM 890 on the Steve Cochran Show. We will talk about it, uh, uh, you know, as the film critic for that for that show. I will talk about it there. I will talk about it on this podcast. And, you know, I mean, obviously I will cut videos on it because that's what I do. I'm an entertainment pop culture guru host, and I'm a film critic professionally for 37 years. So I will definitely watch every moment of it. I'll watch the red carpet. I will do what I always do, which is watch the full day's activities, watch the ceremony, and then inevitably, like I am every year, either be very disappointed or pleased by the outcome. This year, I'm not going to be pleased by anything. Because 97% of the stuff that's nominated is shit, and I don't care, and it doesn't deserve to be nominated. But I will give you my predictions really quickly uh, for the Oscars, and I will be watching, as I just said, I will watch just so I can bitch and moan, and I'll, you know, I'll drop some stuff on the social medias, on your Twitters, and on your Facebook, and all that stuff as it's happening live. I'm just hoping someone gets up on stage and slaps the shit out of somebody else again. That's the only thing that's going to redeem this Oscars this year. Because I don't care about it because the, the nominees don't deserve to be nominated. It is, a, it is an, an, an enormous amount of subpar crap that's been nominated this year. So please, let someone get up on stage and slap the shit out of somebody. 
Let there at least be a semblance of interest in something. God, it's going to be, it's, oh. So here are the 10, now, let me, I'll give you my predictions in the major categories, okay? I don't care, really. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to watch it as I always do, and I will bitch and moan as I always do, and I'll cut a video, and I'll talk about it here, and I'll talk about it on WLS. Uh, but this really is the most pathetic Oscar year ever. Seriously. It's unbelievable. I can't even fake excitement for the crap that's been nominated this year. And it's not like 2022 was a bad year for movies, because it wasn't. There were a lot of great movies, a lot of really, really great movies. None of them were nominated. Well, one of them was. All right, here are my, here are my uh, predictions. Uh, all right, for the nominees for Best Picture, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a good movie, Avatar, The Way of the Water, horrendous. Banshees of Inisherin, which is the only movie in this category that deserves to be nominated. Uh, Elvis, which is uh, just, you know, a blight in the world, one of the worst movies ever. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is a terrible movie. The Fablemans, which is a terrible movie. Tar, which is a terrible movie. Top Gun Maverick, which is a terrible movie. Triangle of Sadness, which is a pretty good movie, but doesn't deserve to be nominated. And Women Talking, which is a terrible movie. So that is seven movies that absolutely suck, that have no business being nominated, and those are Avatar, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. Those movies have no business being in a category that has the, the, the word best in it. But of, uh, of, of those ten, uh, obviously Banshees of Inisherin is the only one that deserves to be in there, but the winner is going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a crappy movie. And it's probably going to win most of the awards, gauging upon what it's won so far uh, in all, all, of, all of the critic circles and the other awards and your Golden Globes and your, you know, your BAFTAs and your uh, you know, uh, SAGs and all that shit. Best Director, Martin McDonough, Banshees of Inner Sharon, uh, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. Again, Uh, except for Martin McDonough, none of these people deserve to be nominated, but the Daniels are going to win it, and it's embarrassing that they're going to win it. Uh, Best actor, Austin Butler for Elvis. Um, You know, he was the best thing in one of the worst movies ever made, but he still doesn't deserve to be nominated. Colin Farrell, Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nye for Living. Now, I will say this. The people that are nominated, with the exception of Austin Butler, the people that are nominated in this category all deserve to be nominated. Uh, But I I have a a really strong suspicion uh, that Austin Butler is going to win for Elvis. Uh, So that's my prediction. Lead actress, uh, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Ana de Armas for uh, Blonde, Andre Riseborough for Two Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, Ana de Armas and Andre Riseborough are the only ones that deserve it. This is the only category that I'll be watching with any sort of interest just so I can see Andrea Riceborough, hear her name announced, and watch the clip from Two Leslie as they play it. Otherwise, I don't give a shit. Uh, and it's going to go to uh, Michelle Yeoh. I mean, that's, that's basically who it's going to go to. I'm just thrilled that Andrea Riceborough is going to be there. I'm going to, for the red carpet, I'm going to look for her. Anytime she's shown on screen during the ceremony, I will be happy as hell. And I will just be watching her. And when they announce her name as an Oscar nominee, I will be thrilled. She will not win because Michelle Yeoh, who is a tremendous actress and a wonderful, wonderful movie star, uh, will win it. She doesn't deserve it, but she'll win it. Supporting actor Brendan Gleeson for Banshees of Inisherin, and Byron Ty- uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan for uh, Banshees of Inisherin, and uh, Ki-Hu Kwan for uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And he- he's going to win, and I don't care. 
Uh, supporting actress Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Hong Chow for The Whale, Carrie Condon for Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think Angela Bassett's going to win it. Uh, but again, if it's not Carrie Condon, I don't give a shit. So those are the major categories. And ultimately, what, uh, what, what, what we've learned here is that I don't care. So there you go. All right. So, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I know she doesn't care. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. So those are my nominees. I'm grumpy. That's right. I'm grumpy. I've earned it. I've been doing I've been, you know, I've been a film critic for 27 years. So I've earned it. I'm going to be grumpy. And again, the worst year that I can remember ever in the history of the Academy Awards. I don't care, but I will watch. And uh, whoever wins, I'll tell you about it on the podcast some other time. All right, let's get to some music uh, with Jim Ryan right here uh, after I tell you that you should be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah. Don't be a jackoff. Treat for you, Jim Ryan. Oh, he is on the lion, Jim Ryan. I am about to pour a big bowl of Jim Ryan down your ear hole, Jim Ryan. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Have you ever met a man named Jim? Last name Ryan. Or last name Ryan. First name Jim. Well, this particular one, well, he writes concert reviews. Interviews musicians in golf fancy shoes. Now's the time we turn up the microphone louder so we can hear what Jim Ryan has to say. That's a good theme song. It's Jim Ryan, everybody, from Forbes and from Daily Herald and uh, from RadioJimRyan.com. The great uh, Jason Skaggs, man. Every time I hear it, I'm like, man, he really outdid himself on that that theme song. Sometimes it makes me laugh. Today, it's just, it's soothing, Soothing calming, calming. (laughs) the the dulcet tones of Jason Skaggs. Now, we won't get into uh, details, but you've had a rough few weeks. (laughs) It's been a rough year, man. It's been a rough year, and yeah. uh, we talked about it before we started recording here. We won't get into all the details, but uh, things are starting to lighten up a little bit. Things are starting to I, improve a little. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Back to shows, you know. It's back to shows. You had a had a you know an illness uh, thing going on there for for a while, and one of the issues with it was that it was screwing up my hearing. So. <laughs> That's not good. Of, of all the ironies, man, I couldn't go to shows. So yeah, yeah, that's not good. You know, as a, as a music back. as a music critic who interviews people, uh, musicians, <laughs> and goes to concerts, you might want to have the hearing thing. That's that, it helps. I, yeah, it helps. Well, anyway, I'm well. I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better. Thank you. Uh, and I and I'm hoping that there is a light at the tunnel and uh, and, uh, and and it's and, not you know, a train. And it's <laughs> wait 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 wait. wait. Often does a train go by? So often you won't even notice. It. <laughs> 
<laughs> Always have that loaded up because you live right by the old. It's a metro train stop, right? It's the, the UP North Line, right? The Long UP Ravens North Wood. Line. Yeah, there you go. I don't live. You know what? I live right over there. I live right by it too. <laughs> the Irving stop is right, but except I don't live next to it like you do. I'm, uh, yeah, it's right outside. Yeah, yeah. So mine is a little bit further away, but uh, but it's there. So I know which line. I know I know what uh, what lion uh, you're on there. So. <laughs> All right, Jim. People can check you out at Forbes, correct? Daily Herald, yes. correct? Yes. And, All these uh, places. Cool. Well, before we get into some of the things that you've been covering and some of the interviews, mm-hmm. um, man, some interviews. I'll tell you something. You've, you know, for someone who was out for a little while, <laughs> well, you came back with some A-listers, my friend. Right. Let That's me. Let me. Good. We'll jump into that in a second. But speaking of A-listers, you know, um, my love for Warren Zevon. Yes. Is significant and deep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time, one of my favorite music people to ever live. And the fact that he had never, until this year, ever even... Not, well, first of all, he's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And as we, right. as we always mention, uh, Jim, uh, Bon Jovi is. Who is it? Who, you like to mention the drummer. Tico Torres. That's right, Tico Torres. <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. It's on his business card. It'll be on his tombstone. <laughs> that, that just destroys me every time I hear it. So Tico Torres, Jesus, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Warren Zevon, until this year, never even made the ballot. Nope. Um, was never even mentioned. Warren Zevon, one of the singular greatest singer-songwriters in the history of music, has never even made the ballot. Fucking Bon Jovi is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, so finally, Zevon is like on the ballot, <laughs> and we can vote for him. And, yeah. I, and I hope that you can vote once a day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I voted every day. <laughs> I, voted, I voted every day for him, and it's good. So, uh, what does it look we, like? To, does it well, look pretty? We, does it look pretty good, Jim? What do we think of the unlikely voice of reason that stands behind him finally getting on the ballot? You know the story, the backstory, right? No, is it? No, no. Wait, what's the backstory now? So there is there is one man responsible for lobbying the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, oh, like mercilessly to finally it's, it's get Billy him on Joel. the ballot. It's Billy, it's Joel. Billy Joel of all that's people. Right. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Hey, you know <laughs> hey, what? I, yeah, I, yeah. No, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Billy Joel falls into that category of artists who used to be great but now suck. True. Okay, and he also falls into the category of artists who have sucked longer than they were great. True. There's th- that's two different categories. But mm-hmm. when he was good in the 70s, Billy Joel was fucking great. And then we got the Down Easter Alexa. <laughs> well, listen, I will go <laughs> it's with... opposite ends. I understand that. And I will go with it. When, you know what album I, I back that nobody likes? Stormfront. Uh, it can, no, can't be Stormfront. Okay, no, it's not Stormfront. One? Although I which saw one? him on that tour. And River of Dreams. No, no. <laughs> I back Nylon Curtain. Oh, okay. Well, wait. Now, have you you know that documentary, right? You've seen yeah. that documentary. Uh, that documentary makes is so rich with unintentional comedy. Well, what's me t- laugh t- t- so t- hard? T- t- explain to people what we're talking about here. So, Billy Joel went to do this tour of Russia, and you'd think that in do by watching this film, you'd think that in doing so, he single handedly ended the Cold War. Right. Like Rocky Pretty did much. at the end of Rocky Four. That's very good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> he befriends this like iron worker who keeps coming on stage and like banging a piece of iron against the piano. It's just it's great on so many levels. You should really watch it. It is, but I will say this: I back that record. I think okay. I think I think that Nylon Curtain to me is the last really good Billy Joel album. 
Is Leningrad on that album? Yeah, and so is Allentown. Is on Allentown? I love Allentown. (laughs) I love that fucking song. I do. But anyway, so yes, Billy Joel. God bless him. Billy Joel like went out of his way to you know in one of his eighty night stays at Madison Square Garden talk about (laughs) about Zevon. So hell yeah, man. I mean, Billy Joel's a huge name. Unlikely voice of reason, but I'll take it. Unlikely voice of reason, but also an unlikely voice of reason that reaches millions mm-hmm. of hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, uh, Billy Joel, as much as he has sucked for a very long time and is kind of a joke <laughs> now, is considered one of the best songwriters of all time. So to, have, that. That, to have some a guy like that back Zevon, I'll take it. I'll totally take it. I, so. it's, it's great. I mean, I just... It would buck the recent trend of terrible fan voting. So that would be really lovely if Warren Zevon got in that way when we've had recent inductees like Bon Jovi and Journey, thanks to yeah. that method of voting. So yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really, I mean, you know, I, you know, it's it's weird that it has to come down to that because, I mean, to me, it's, he's just a no-brainer. It's a shoe in yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, you and I have said it a million times. He's one of the most, if not the most, egregious snub in the history of the institution. So I agree. I totally fix, agree. Fix it. So, yeah, fix it and vote. For, for all of you who are listening, who, if you give a shit about music at all, you should vote. Or if you don't care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Again, a lot of people are like, Nick, why do you even care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's a joke. And, that, and again, I can understand that. But you know what? There is, a, there is like a, this feeling of like honor to it. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. yes, you can just say Jan, Jan Warner is a jag off and forget the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a joke. Anyway, okay, that's cool. But there are, if, there, if it does exist, Warren Zevon should be in it. And Warren Zevon so, should have been in it many, many, many years ago. Do you do you want to see? Do you want to hear the current leaderboard? Yeah, here's the current leaderboard. And by the way, you can vote. It's like it's like uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What's the website where you can vote? Because you can vote Rockhall. daily. Rockhall.com. Rockhall.com. Vote for Warren Zevon. You can vote once a day. Vote every day until the deadline. Rockhall.com. Vote for Warren Zevon. Where are we at uh, so far? <laughs> Number and I'm not even saying I disagree with any of the people on this list, but it's going to shock you some of the names that are on. But this by the list way, but still no, not in. But I know, but I know. By the way, Jim, uh, this list, by the way, uh, of all the people that like you can vote for, including Warren Zevon, mm-hmm. I like every one of them. Uh, yeah, Dude, no, I do I'm, too. I'm not kidding. Every single person is either great or should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or should have been in there already. So these are all great people that Warren Zevon is up against uh, for this. But <laughs> I vote for Warren Zevon. But anyway, go ahead. Well, it's very narrow between first and second. Uh, in the lead by about 600 votes is George Michael ahead of Cindy Lauper. And they're both awesome. Uh-huh. And they're both awesome. So, uh, George Michael, please. I adore him. And Cindy Lauper rules the planet. So, yes, mm-hmm. I love them. Yes, that Z- makes sense. Zivon's third. And that's great. And so who, mm-hmm. is, who is he above? He's above Iron Maiden, Soundgarden, Willie Nelson. How is Willie Nelson not in? Uh, Joy Division in New Order, Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Rage Against the Machine, The Spinners, The White Stripes, Missy Elliott, and The Tribe Called Quest. It's hard to argue with any of them on there, well, honestly. Okay, now that you name a few, there's a few in there. That I, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a few in there that I that I that I'm not a fan of. But uh, but the fact how yeah, I mean yeah how is Willie Nelson not in? Is it because it's a better list than normal? But yeah, Willie. I mean, come on, like come ridiculous. on. Totally ridiculous. But anyway. He's going to well, be the he, Ron Santo. They're going to wait till he dies to put him in. He'll be 97 exactly. years old, and they'll finally put him in. Yep. And Zivon, by the way, third. That's pretty cool. It's pretty that's good. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty good. So keep voting, everybody. There's a there's a solid chance that Warren Zivon may actually finally make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So uh, Rock rock and Roll Hall. Is it Rock Hall? Rock Hall. It is vote.rockhall.com. Vote.rockhall.com. Warren Zivon, vote now. Okay, cool. Anyway. 
All right. I voted uh, significant. I, I live in Chicago, so I voted 15 times. A day. Yeah, yeah, I did it 20 times just in the last five minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, so back in had a had some trouble at the beginning of this year physically yeah. and all kinds of shit. But you are you're back to interviewing people and people can yes. check it out at Forbes.com. Uh-huh. You're at Daily Herald and all of this stuff is at RadioJimRyan.com. Yep. Man, let's start with motherfucking John Fogarty, man. I mean, <laughs> come on. You interviewed John Fogarty. I this is the second time I've interviewed him. I love him. And this is a story I never thought I'd see. It's insane. Yeah. Well, let's hear it, man. I mean, he's so for 50 years, there's been this well-publicized fight between him and Fantasy Records, with whom Credence Clearwater Revival signed in the early 60s. Um, as part of his, he, he fought infamously with the guy who owned that label, Saul Zance, who went on to take the profits, allegedly, of CCR and become a Oscar-winning film producer. Uh, so... Yeah. There was a very litigious history in the 80s in particular between Fogarty and Saul Zance. Fogarty wrote a song called Zance Can't Dance. Uh, He was sued by Zance because of that song for for libel, slander. Uh, He was then sued again for plagiarizing himself, saying that the old man down the road sounded too much like a Creedence song. So Fogarty was sued for plagiarizing himself. It went to the Supreme Court. It's it's an insane history, right? Crazy. But as part of his getting out of that fantasy deal, he sold his rights to the CCR stuff. He gave it back to Saul Dance just to get out of the deal. Uh, And he didn't – that was in 1980. It took 25 years before he started getting any royalty at all on CCR material. Saul Dance died. The label was sold. um, And the new owners did at least restore the royalty. Um, But it's quite a history in terms of him fighting to get the rights to his CCR songs back. It's 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 absolutely batshit crazy. The whole story mm-hmm. is nuts. Uh, I mean, the fact that he got sued because he sounded he sounded he, like himself is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I remember this. I will say this though, Jim, and maybe I've talked to you about this before. I remember watching a benefit concert, and I don't know. I can't remember where it was. It could have been in D.C. I'm not sure, but it was a benefit for Vietnam vets. Yes, yes, in '87. Okay, and and so the 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 crowd was filled with Vietnam vets uh-huh. and military people. Okay. Uh, and Fogarty was up there. And at this point, Fogarty in 87 was not deep into not playing any Creedence songs. Yep. Like he, he couldn't play them or he wouldn't play them, whatever, uh, because of what was happening and all this, all this shit. But he, at one point, it wasn't on the set list. And at one point, he said, fuck it. And he busted into Fortunate Son. And, and do you know who do you know who it was who talked him into that at that no, event? No, 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 who? It was Bob Dylan. Oh man. It was Bob Dylan who said people are people are gonna die not knowing these were your songs. Or yeah. no, he said he uh, Proud Mary, he said people are gonna die thinking that's an Ike and Tina song. Right. Right. And well, since it was in front of veterans, which is Fogarty is a veteran, it's a community yep. that's close to him. Yep. He did it for the he broke that for the first time in forever, yeah. When he Busted into for, for Fortunate Son. For people who, I mean, I'm not going to go into what Fortunate Son is about. <laughs> you know, um, but let's just say it, hits, it strikes a big chord with a lot of Vietnam vets. Right. Um, and I, I'm telling you, I was, watching that, I was watching that concert on cable. And when, he, when Fortunate Son started, I have never seen a crowd go more fucking apeshit. Wow. Than they did when that song started. 
and what that song means to to them and the Uh fact, you know, the story behind him not playing it and all the legality and all the bullshit. And for him to say, all right, I got Vietnam vets out here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, I got military vets out here. I'm playing Fortunate Son. And as soon as he started playing it, I've never seen a crowd go more crazy. And I, I get the chills just thinking about it. I remember watching it. I was like, oh, my, like it took my breath away when he played it. And the version that he played, that, that song, the version that he played of that song is the, one of the greatest live versions of any song in front of any crowd I've ever witnessed. So that's in my piece. So I, I had asked him about, <clears throat> about that appearance, and he acknowledged that that was the first time he had played any CCR stuff in forever, and that even after that, he only did it because it was in front of veterans, and even after that, he still maintained yep. that he'd been so deeply hurt he wasn't going to do the CCR stuff. Yep. And in 1990, then three years later... He went to the crossroads in Mississippi. Now, this is the subject of mystery and folklore around yeah. bluesman Robert Johnson. Yeah, yep. He was intrigued by it, so he went to the crossroads, and he had done all kinds of research, and he thought he knew the hypothetical tree under which Robert Johnson was buried. But again, nobody nobody knows. Right. And he tells this story of, like, being in this intense Mississippi heat, you know, and you know, trudging through these bramble bushes and wading through water to get to this tree he thought that it was and having this moment where he thought to himself, who owns Robert Johnson's songs? Because Columbia had just put out a box set because there was kind of renewed interest. You know, Clapton was doing Crossroads and all all this kind of stuff. There was renewed interest. So Columbia puts out this box set and he had this moment where he's thinking to himself, who owns Robert Johnson's songs? It doesn't matter, Robert. Everyone knows they're your songs. And then realized not everyone probably knows that. And it was in that moment, three years after he started it with the veterans, like you explained, that he had the epiphany that he better start to embrace that material before he dies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was it like to, to interview? You interviewed him twice. What kind of guy is he to interview? Is he, is he cool? Yeah, he's, I, I find him fascinating and he's super thoughtful. And what was interesting in this piece was that he, as, so he regained the global publishing. So, Fantasy Records was sold to Concord Music Group, which is this big conglomerate that manages a lot of catalogs primarily. They still own the masters. John got bought back the global publishing. So in this era where everybody's selling catalogs for like, you know, Springsteen just sold his catalog for half a billion dollars. Somehow Fogarty bought his back. So he had to partner with someone. He wouldn't get into the financials of it, but he now has this hand in controlling how these songs are used commercially like the one we laughed at was that he remembered it you know ccr song appearing in a paint thinner ad that he had no control over there's some decent stuff like forrest gump but he really wants to try to use that now as a tool to make sure a new younger generation and reach is reached by music which to me is yeah here guys like this seventies, and it's you know yeah it's just fascinating yeah well i mean it, it's it's amazing that you got to where, where were you when you interviewed was it over the phone yeah, it was over the phone. Um, so I was just sitting there, uh, you know, hitting hitting mute on the on the call uh, when a train would come by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean like this? Often does a train go by? So often you won't even notice. It. Exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. And I mean, he still tours, and he said he's having more fun with it now than he ever has. His kid, both of his sons are in the band, so no, in a weird cool. roundabout way, you know, his did, brother was in CCR. And well, I was going to ask him. What, what did you ask him about his brother at all? No, he. it kind of came up toward the end. I said, you know, CCR obviously started as a family band in a way. And yeah. now you get you own these songs again. You perform them each night 
on stage with a family band. He said, yes, yeah. he's he said, the is not lost on me. Yeah. It's more fun, more fun than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they didn't have a great relationship. <laughs> It, it yeah, got ugly. Think, it got ugly between Fogarty and his brother, uh, mm-hmm, so. which was all part of this fight with the label. Yeah. Uh, you know, his yeah. bandmates went one way in that fight; he went the other, and yeah. And then his, and then it's such a strange end for his brother. His brother dies of AIDS in the nineties. Yep. yep. Uh, a blood transfusion, I think. Like, yep. So crazy it is. It's an incredible story, boy. The fact that you got—I mean, this guy's a legend, man. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's that's really cool that you got to talk to him. Um. So, uh, and that again is that uh, people can check out that interview at Forbes. That is at Forbes.com. Forbes.com, the John Fogarty uh, gets the global publishing rights back after 50 years. God, <laughs> can't even imagine that. And I don't know if that 1987 concert is available anywhere, if that benefit is available anywhere. Um, I'm not sure, but I know but, it was a it was a packed cast because that's definitely where Bob Dylan pulled him aside. That's the show yeah. you're referencing. Yeah, yeah, And they yeah. had that discussion. It's and they crazy. did. They broadcast it on cable because I watched it. I remember watching it. And I'm telling you, that moment when he breaks into Fortunate Son, I have I was beside myself. One of the most incredible moments I've ever seen live. Wow. Uh, so anyway, so you got to talk to John Fogarty. All right, now the next guy you got that I'm going to mention. <laughs> I am not a fan of Kiss. Right. And by the way, they just announced their 70th farewell tour. <laughs> Isn't it their That's... 70th? Are we around the 70th uh, farewell tour at this point? I think... I mean, I think you can make the argument that the farewell tour started in '98 when they went back in the makeup for the first time. It just never right, stopped. Right. When did the Psycho Circus happen? I remember that was a <laughs> 2001, 2002. Yeah, like Even that. that's 20 years ago. Yeah. No, no, no shit. Now listen, mm-hmm. I saw Kiss in their heyday. I saw them in '75. I saw them in '76. I saw them in '77. So I saw them with makeup. You know. As a, as a member of the KISS Army. Again, you know, at that point, I didn't have pubic hair, so I didn't know what the <laughs> fuck I was talking about. I was a kid. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't... Re- and it oddly... I'm telling you, Jim, this is weird that it's going to come, come around to this. Oddly, one of the artists that made me realize how shitty KISS is <laughs> is Warren is Zevon. It? Really? Warren okay. Zevon. Because I discovered Excitable Boy in early 1978, and at that point, I was still, like, a KISS guy. You know, I was, okay. like, 12-ish. And I was like, yeah, Kiss rules. I still like Kiss. And then I was getting into other stuff. And then, like, I heard Werewolves of London, and I was like, oh, that's cool, because it was, you know, name of a horror movie that I loved as a, you know, as a kid. Werewolf of London is one of my favorites. And I thought the song was kind of cool. And I remember buying Excitable Boy and, like, what? Who is this dork? You know, like, on the cover. (laughs) You know, and bringing it home and and taking the album out of the sleeve. And on the inside sleeve, there's the revolver on the dinner plate picture. And I'm like, what the, what is this? You know? Right. And then I played it and I was like, it opened my eyes to like what songwriting could be. And I'm not kidding. It was a, it was a seminal album in my life and it changed the way I looked at music. And then like, after I became obsessed with, uh, excitable boy and then got his first album and his, and, and his second album, and started to really get into Warren Zevon and then get into artists that were similar to that kind of thing. Uh, that's when I never listened to Kiss again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, stopped, I was like, Warren Zevon made me realize that Kiss sucks. So it's weird that, that that's like combined in this conversation we're having. But you interviewed Paul Stanley. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and again, and now you're a fan of Kiss, right? You're a fan. Yeah, I, I have room in my heart for, for yeah. the stuff I know yeah. is ridiculous crap like Kiss and, and Warren Zevon, which I know is not ridiculous crap. I like them right. both. No, no, no. I can understand that. And you know what? I mean, as a kid, I will never regret. I do not regret seeing them in their prime. I mean, you know, I feel I'm lucky to have seen Kiss like with the makeup in the 70s. That's what's 
What do you think you would think uh, walking through a KISS crowd now where you see men in like their 60s and 70s who are fa- pa- you know, painting their face and all dressing up and like... Good uh, for that. You- <laughs> no, that's cool. Hey, it's not is my it, thing. It's not my it, thing though? anymore. No, it's not. But you know what? I mean, that's... Look, man, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for digging shit that they liked when they were kids. True. Same. You know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, like you're in your fifties or sixties now. That's cool, man. I, you know, I got no issue against it. It's not my thing anymore. Um, at all, but I do not, like I said, when I was 12 and I got to see kiss live at the Chicago stadium at their height, that's fucking cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, no, I'm not going to begrudge a 60 year old dude dressing up like Paul Stanley. I got no problem with that. I mean, he's 60s, and he's in his 60s, and he's dressing uh, he's, up like Paul he's Stanley. He's 71. Oh, oh, he's 71. Okay, that makes uh-huh. sense. <laughs> uh, the farewell tour. But anyway, but I did not know this, that he's actually like a painter and like yeah. has an art exhibit and stuff. I did not know this about Paul Stanley. Uh, but you interviewed Paul Stanley, yeah. Did you look at any of the work out of curiosity? I did. It's not bad, man. It's not bad, right? No, no, like, it's yeah. not. It's not, man. It's not bad. I mean, as an artist, he's he's pretty cool. I You know, it's interesting. Um, I just, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't know what kind of guy is he to interview. Cause he just seems like a dick to me. I, I, so that's, what's really fascinating. He's, uh, I, like, I figured it's going to be this super up guy from, you know, knowing his stage persona and everything. And he couldn't have been more laid back. Really? And he wasn't going, yeah! calm and, what? he didn't you know, do the, the, no. <laughs> like if, if, if everybody, if anybody doesn't know, there is a, an audio out there of like two hours of stage banter. Of yeah. Paul Stanley <laughs> uh, talking between songs during Kiss concerts, and it is maybe the most entertaining two hours of raw audio footage you will ever hear in your life. And it's just <laughs> Paul Stanley whooping up the crowd and doing bad, ridiculous stage banter between terrible Kiss songs during terrible. A lot of Kiss falsetto, concerts. yeah. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> if you've never Google it, Paul Stanley has something to say. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think I think <laughs> the collection is under the name is Paul Stanley's got something to say. And if you've not heard this like two hours of raw stage banter between songs from Kiss concerts by Paul Stanley, it's gold. Absolutely a, gold. But he didn't do any of that when you he didn't do any of that when you talked to him. Super calm and collected. And <laughs> with the with the art, it's really interesting because he's very aware. That there's a, a highbrow, you know, uh, element to that world, or at least people think there is, and right. maybe maybe that could be at odds with the Kiss crowd. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. let you decide. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so he he was really he went back to this several times about how there shouldn't be any sort of barrier. Art is so subjective; it's not an objective thing at all. It's not a fact based thing. You yeah. like what you like, you don't like. Everyone approaches it differently, and that you know. He, he tied in the idea of live theater. People think it's a really highbrow concept, but it didn't start that way. And that he's a huge proponent for for trying to bring in as many people to these worlds as he can, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, live theater, that's what their show is, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, it's the most theatrical show. I mean, outside of, you know, they owe, they owe a check or two to Alice Cooper, but outside <laughs> of, outside of that kind of state, that kind of stage craft is very theatrical, man. And it's one of the reasons why 12-year-olds like me loved them in the 70s, you know? When they went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that was one of the things I was a big proponent of. I'm like, if you're... Because one of the criteria they use to vote on, supposedly, is, you know, what kind of impact has there been on future generations? And if you look at the live concert world, you don't see the impact of Kiss. I think you're blind. No, absolutely. There's no question about it. I'd be the first to admit that, without question. And yeah, and I I looked at his paintings in your your piece. And, uh, And again, that's at Forbes as well. 
and we can find all of this at Radio Jim Ryan. And if you want to see Paul Stanley's artwork, it's pretty cool, man. It's not it's bad. It's pretty cool. It's not bad. Yeah. Is he touring? Is he touring with this as an art exhibit, or what's going on? So yeah, he did. He did a couple of. Uh, he's tied in with the Wentworth Gallery, which does a lot. They have a series of galleries throughout the country, and they do a lot of stuff with musicians who fashion themselves as artists. So he did a couple appearances in Florida, Maryland, in Virginia, and then he's going to have a huge exhibition in Ohio at the Butler Institute of Fine Art. This is actually a really prestigious yeah. art museum. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the first, I guess, museums dedicated solely to American art, opened in the 20s and operates entirely pro bono. So just that is really interesting. But they're doing like a two-month run of his work uh, starting in August and running through – starting in August, running through October, mm -hmm. um, just Paul Stanley's artwork. And he was really excited about it. And when I Very started cool. reading about the museum, I was like, wow, he should be. When you when you talked to – when did you talk to him? Uh, this would have been about a month ago. Yeah, okay, it was so, in uh, end of January, early February. Okay. And so in talking with him, had this new tour – hadn't been announced yet because they just announced it. Like a, like a week ago or something, right? It, yeah, it got announced the day after I got lucky. I got announced the day after I ran my article, which really helped the traffic. Wow, but, that's great, yeah. man. Now, was it? did you talk about that with him, like the, like the final tour? I had heard it was coming. So what we talked about really was the idea of getting back on stage for a band like Kiss after – you know, the pandemic induced layoff, you know, of all yeah. of all bands who've made their bones touring. I mean, they're amongst, you know, them, the Grateful Dead bands like that. That's, you know, because Kiss is at a place that, yeah, Kiss is at a place now where they're not selling records anymore, right? No, 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 no of but course not. they could still tour. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he just, he talked about how much live music means to him in terms of connecting people, which again, I thought was cool. And it's just him and Gene. I mean, who I don't even know who the other two dudes are now. Do we? It's Tommy Tommy Thayer on guitar, who was Ace Frehley's guitar tech for a long time, and then uh, I believe it's Eric Singer. I always confuse the Eric two Singer is still Eric, with him. Eric Singer or Eric Carr? I don't remember Eric which one. Carr, it is. Well, yeah, I don't think Eric Carr's with him. I think is it's he, is he the one that who's passed? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Eric Carr's passed. Yeah, so then um, it's Eric Singer. Okay, all right, all right. Well, uh, there you go, Kiss. So Kiss, if you want to see Paul Stanley's paintings. Uh, go to Ohio or check out uh, RadioJimRyan.com or Forbes for uh, the article about Paul uh, where you interview Paul Stanley. They're going to be at Allstate in November. You going? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll be one of the 57-year-old guys with the makeup on. That'll be me. Nick, this could be the last chance. <laughs> no, it's not. They're going to tour in 15 years. When they're 90, they're going to still come out. I know. Uh, so anyway, all right. Um all right, so so kiss they're 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 still uh, they're still I just it's just they you know like I, Gene Simmons is just is such a prick I, I just <laughs> I, I don't know they just drive me they drive me nuts but uh, you know but God bless them they're still yeah. uh, they're still out there all right now um, Material Issue is yeah. uh, one of the most legendary bands in the history of Chicago mm -hmm. um, and uh, have you know obviously a tragic story. Uh, that right. is tied in with with uh, with material issue, and there's a new documentary called Out of Time, and you and this is really cool. You were uh, you were the moderator of a Q and A at a screening of this film at the Alamo Draft House, which I've not been to yet. Um, it's not bad. Yeah, I I I, I'm, I, I inevitably I'm going to go. I just have issues with one. I'm not the the whole idea of like uh, you know dining and watching movies does not appeal to me. I'm not a sure. Same, I think those are, the same way. To me, they're two, it's two separate things. Like watching a movie and then eating dinner and drinking is separate to me. Um, and I and I'm not crazy about it. Also, uh, I you know I've seen the Alamo Draft House in pictures and I blah blah blah. And I was invited to the opening night and I didn't go. Uh, the fact that they've dedicated the entire place to John Hughes bugs me. 
um, that bothers the shit out of me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, it seems know, like the exact opposite of what John Hughes would want. But well, yeah, I mean, look, you know, like you know, like you walk in and there's like Fer- Ferris Bueller shit everywhere, and like. <laughs> 16 candles and all this like bullshit that's a John Hughes blah blah blah. You know, you want to you want to be really, you know, you want to be really Chicago like. You want to dedicate a place to a to a filmmaker named John, Dur- you know, fucking dedicated to John McNaughton. Have pictures of Henry on the wall when you walk there you in. Go. Or Mad Dog and Glory. That would be cool. Like if oh uh, yeah, Elmo Draft House. You want to be you want to be hip and cool, you want to reach a very cool smart crowd. Dedicate the fucking place to John McNaughton, not John Hughes. So, anyway, um, but I'm not, I, I mean, I inevitably I will go there and I'm sure that I, I will probably be part of like events that happen there. I'm not going to be, I'm not surprised. Uh, but you were part of a Q and a yeah. at the Alamo draft house for out of time about material issue for people who don't know material issue. Give us a quick rundown on the band and the story behind the band and, you know, and what happened. Yeah, they're, they're really interesting to me. They kind of are almost single-handedly responsible for, kicking open the door in 1991 gave you every other band out of Chicago in the alternative scene in the nineties that you do know of. So smashing pumpkins, Liz fair, Veruca salt, all these bands. Um, in 1991, you know, so this is grunge hasn't happened yet. This predates grunge barely. Um, and they're a really poppy thing. They're, they're a power pop entity. They're really influenced by bands like the Beatles and the raspberries, that kind of stuff. Yeah. As the decade would go on, that became, less and less fashionable in a decade defined by the angst of grunge in Seattle and all these things. So they sort of fell from, you know, commercial uh, popularity, but they had their five minutes, their debut album, International Pop Overthrow, the single Valerie Loves Me had Airplane MTV, that that album went gold. So, I mean, they did make a mark nationally. And then the story kind of becomes tragic, which is a lot of what's captured in the documentary, just in terms of changing tastes, Ultimately, the lead singer, Jim Ellison, takes his own life. There's a big discussion at the end about uh, the importance of mental health because I remember growing up, Nick, like in the 80s and 90s, like that idea of something like even like therapy was so stigmatized. Yep, yep. And they get into that a lot in the the film that this is a guy who may have been bipolar. Um, He had some issues. They weren't diagnosed and, you know, his friends and his family miss him. Um, But ultimately, the the music lives on and, and I'm glad to see them getting some renewed interest here because I think the quality of the music demands that the catalog is strong. It's yeah. only three, four albums, but it's really good. And they still, you know, they still, uh, uh, they still play out and stuff like that with, uh, with other people who have, uh, like Phil and Gotti plays. Phil and Gotti. Yeah. He's yeah, great. Was, he's a good buddy of mine. Um, he's great. Uh, was he at the, was he at the Q and a, he, he was in attendance for the screening. He did not take part in the Q and a, right. and the Q and a was with, so I moderated this. I'm sorry to everybody who was in attendance, but uh, I I moderated the Q and A. It was producer Jeff Murphy, who owned the uh, recording studio Short Order Recorder in Zion, Illinois, where yeah. Material Issue recorded their first two albums. He was in the yeah. group Shoes, who had some some. They they charted a couple of tracks in late '70s, early '80s. But it was Jeff Murphy. It was the surviving members of the band: Mike uh, Zelenko, the drummer, and Ted Ansani, the bass player. Yeah, and the director Balin Schneider, who's only. 23, I think. He began this film when he was 18. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, he wasn't even around. He wasn't no, even, that's... He wasn't even a fucking zygote when they were... I, I was one of the questions I asked him. I said, how, how did you come to discover Material Issue? And it was because the bass player in Panic at the Disco tweeted the video to Valerie Loves Me. Wow. Okay, cool, man. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and how's the movie? The movie's great. 67 minutes, so it's not a long documentary, but it's it's really good. Um 
it, it, it tells the story. You know, there's there's highs and there's lows, um, but it, it tells the story. There's some great participants locally. You've got Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott who host Sound Opinions. You know, to shine some light on the the local part of it. Another really interesting element of this, Nick, is that everyone involved with this band early on blew up to become giant, even though the band didn't. Peter Katzis, their manager, went on to manage Jane's Addiction, the Backstreet Boys. He's one of the biggest managers in the industry. Jeff Quantinance, who who worked with them a ton, went on to found the Big Three Basketball League with Ice Cube. I mean, like everyone involved with this band became mega, mega players in that industry, yeah. and the band didn't. Yeah. Well, and it's, but it, they it all is, talk about it. It's it's interesting, you know. We we have a different perspective, or at least I do, because I'm uh, I'm around the age of these guys, right? Um, and we were and, here, and I was here, and I mean that's yeah. the thing. It's like I mm-hmm. I was you know I was I I knew that scene. I'd seen those guys, and you know, I mean I used to hang out in Wicker Park, and I I actually drank with Liz Fair. So okay. I mean, like it's it's that I'm that old. <laughs> I, I I am that old, and and I remember when Material Issue broke, and uh, and I knew them before they broke, and huge uh you know huge band an incredibly important band especially here from chicago and a great story and i'm glad that the, that the um you know that the doc does them justice i also am really uh he- happy to hear that you're doing the uh the liner notes for the blu-ray edition of the of the movie yeah that's that's kind of a labor of love uh, i i wrote an article in 2021 in forbes about where i interviewed both surviving members of the band we spoke with the director and it was a really long piece and it got a ton of traffic usually a piece that long doesn't get much traffic, but sure. this one did. Sure. And I was shocked. And so they, that was twenty, the end of 2021 when the film initially got its theatrical release. Um, this summer, the Blu-ray is coming. So they reached out there like, could we rerun your Forbes article? And I'm like, how about I just write new liner notes? Um, so I'm kind of working on that now. And it's been oh, a really interesting awesome, process. Man. Yeah, I'm really excited Cong- about it. Congrats, man. That must be, Thank the, you, you. Know, you know, how did you discover Material Issue? You're a little bit younger than I am. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I kind of remember them from hearing them on the radio and stuff locally, but I was too young to go to shows. My parents were not going to let me go to Metro and that kind of right. stuff. Right, In 91, I was uh, 12, so yeah. it just wasn't happening. But I remembered the music. Um, I was aware of the fact that Jim Ellison had passed and then just became a bigger and bigger fan. And then from doing the stuff that I do going to a lot of shows and writing about them. And you'd kind of run into Mike and Ted, the surviving members performing around town. And there would be conversations um, for some of these local publications I wrote for. I remember speaking to Ted Ansani for a project I was working on in Terry Hemmert's class at Columbia. Columbia is where those guys got together. Uh, they placed an ad in the yeah. Illinois entertainer and they were all yep. going to Columbia college. So yep. Yep. it's just kind of worlds colliding over the years. And it just has been unavoidable weirdly hey. in like the last 20 you know, it's it's interesting, and this is a sidebar. Uh, I haven't talked to you since uh, Lynn Bramer passed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, boy, getting back to the happy times of 2023. <laughs> um, did you ever – were you ever lucky enough to, to cross paths with Lynn? Did you know him at all? <laughs> I love Lynn, yeah. yeah uh, I, I interned at XRT in 2000. Yep. yep. So uh, I got to know Lynn there. And what always impressed me about that guy, you know, 20 years later, you know, I, I write about music and stuff, and I'd see him at shows all the time, so – there, we were constantly in front of one another. But even in those years between there where I'm going to Columbia College and I'm not doing anything of, of note, that guy, I would see him at the, you know, the opening day broadcast or something at Yoxie's and he'd walk right up to me, remember him be my name. I mean, have you ever watched him work a room? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. fascinating. I've never seen anybody work a room like that guy. Like where even if you get 30 seconds with him, he really makes you feel like you're the only person in that room. It was un- I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, I'm not a people person, so I learned a lot 
from him yeah. about how how to treat people and that you can you can kind of do the schmoozy thing without looking like an asshole. Yeah. Lynn, um, well, also, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, you see him at Yaxies and stuff like that. Lynn was one of the biggest Cubs fans uh, yes. ever. ever. <laughs> yep. And I'd, mm-hmm. I'd gone to games with him, and I knew Lynn through, through the business, and I knew him, and so on and so forth. Um, and as you said, you know, uh, being kind to people and being, you know, remembering their names and working in a room and stuff like that, that was not bullshit. That was Lynn. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That wasn't like yep. surfacey shit. Like, hey, how you doing? It wasn't like that at all. Lynn right. knew your name because he wanted to know your name. He knew who you were because he wanted to know your, who you were, and he was interested in you. Fucking selfless guy, Lynn. And yep. Lynn was the first guy that called me when I got fired from GN. The first yeah, I mean, guy that called me. And it, it, when it, when Yep, absolutely. When, when Feeder ran with it, when Feeder you know, ran the column and, and it, it was published and put online and all that shit that me and Rokon were fired on the same day from GN, the first phone call I got, like literally seconds after it was after it was posted, was from Lynn Bramer. The first person that called me was Lynn, and I never worked with him in a you know professional way. Right. I knew him and stuff like that. We crossed paths. You know, we would see each other at Cub games or movie screenings or events or concerts and things like that. Um, you know, but he was the first dude that called me out of everybody. So, and by the way, I do want to mention uh, Cinderella Blackbird. I saw this is an event that's happening on Friday, April twenty first, uh, at the Hideout. And um, it's going to be poems, stories, and songs in memory of Lynn Bramer. And it's my buddy, uh, Tony Fitzpatrick and John Langford. And, that's um, so cool. Yeah. So that's on Friday, April 21st. And I'm definitely going to go. And I would imagine that you're going to be there, too. I'm hoping to. If, um, if, you, get, if you get to go there. So, again, it's Friday, April 21st at the, at the hideout. I'm, I'm going to have Tony on the, uh, on the podcast um, in, a, in, a, in a couple of some weeks uh, at the beginning of April to talk about this and to talk about Lynn in general. But I wanted to mention, you know, Lynn, I knew that you knew, obviously, you knew him in some capacity. Can I can I tell you my favorite Lynn Bramer story? Uh, absolutely, <laughs> it's kinda, please. Yes, please. it's kind of a hybrid of two stories. Please, um, please. So I live in Edgewater, right off the train line, as as we've discussed. Yes, we know that. Yeah, wait, that, hold that's on. With wait, 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 hold on a second. How often does the train go by? So often you won't even notice it. Right. Okay. But that's he, in it's in very close proximity to the infamous Hardo Chicago Motel on Peterson near Ridge. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So when I when I first moved in here um, in October 2021, I broke my coffee pot in transit, as as will happen. And until I got a chance to go buy another one, I was making daily runs to the Starbucks on Peterson over by Clark. Yep. So one day I'm walking back with my coffee, and I'm just about the heart of Chicago Motel, and there's a red light, and somebody is screaming, Jam! And I'm like, I'm trying to look, and I can't figure out where the hell it's coming from. I just keep walking. It only gets louder, and now the last name's tacked on. Jam Ryan! And I finally see that it is Lynn Bramer driving eastbound on Peterson at the red light. He has unbuckled his seatbelt. He's crawled all the way across the front seat and is leaning out the passenger side window, yelling and waving his arms. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I wander out into traffic, and he's just shaking his head. And I go, what? And he goes... He goes, what are you doing? And I go, I just moved. I'm getting coffee. I broke my coffee pot. He goes, he goes, you moved here? And I go, what? And he goes, you live at the heart of Chicago? And I start laughing and I shrug my shoulders. I go, free cable. <laughs> at this point, the light has turned. He's getting honked at. He's like, well, he's like, I have to go now. Okay. Oh, man. So I wander back to the sidewalk. I go home like... Three or four days later, sitting sitting there on a Friday night, I was home, didn't go out. This is 2021. Stuff wasn't totally back to normal yet. Right. 
And I'm sitting there on the couch and my phone rings and it says, the caller ID says it's the photographer I work with all the time, one of my best friends, Barry Breckheisen. And I pick up the phone. I go, hey, Barry. And he goes, there's just quiet. This is not your friend. This is Lynn Bramer. I go, hi, Lynn. <laughs> okay. And he goes, we're at an event and uh, your friend set his phone down and I figured I'd pick it up before it could lock and call the last number he called. And lo and behold, it's Jim Ryan. And I start laughing. He goes, so I figured it was either the world, the, the marathon runner or the world-class rock and roll writer. Oh, and I go, well, I'm not running any marathons anytime soon. Oh, Lynn. man. And That's... the two of us, I'm dying laughing. And uh, oh. I'm dying laughing. And somehow he brought the heart of Chicago back. He goes, he goes, are you, uh, you still over there by the heart of Chicago? And I go, yeah. I go, yeah. And he goes, that, my friend, is a motel with an M. And I'm like, yes, it certainly is. Oh. And at this point, I hear Barry yelling in the background. He's like, I have to go now. Oh, God, that is so great. <laughs> yep. That is so great. Yeah. And I was so, I was it. so, I was like really obviously devastated when I heard that Lynn passed. And, and it was weird because like, you know, he, he went back to work for a while. You know, right. That's, that I was hoping he, things he, were better. Yeah. And then like, you know, uh, and then you know we hear we hear of his passing. Special dude. If you ever met yep. him, you know anybody who's listening to this. If you've met Lynn Bramer, you know you know you know yep. what a what a special dude he was. What an amazing guy he was. All right, uh, you're going to what, what, what? You got a concert coming up here at the at the Salt Village or Salt Land or Salt <laughs> Shit? What's it? Salt? Uh, they they have rejected my application to cover oh. the show, so oh, apparently they... I'm not going. <laughs> no Iggy Pop. You were going to go to see Iggy Pop. You're going to no. go see Iggy. Yeah. Okay. No Iggy Pop. Uh, no, no, Iggy. no. No Iggy Pop for you. No. Uh, any anything else coming up that you're going to be writing about that we can check out at Forbes or RadioJimRyan.com? Yeah, I think Tedeschi Trucks Band is coming up uh, yeah, in two weeks here. Chicago, Saint, Saint Chicago Patrick's Theater. Day. Chicago Theater, they're yeah. doing their annual residency of so four shows. Going to check that out. Looking yep. on a piece of Jones band. Speaking of bands we haven't Freddie heard Jones, about in yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Reverend Horton Heat, working on a piece on them. So, yeah. Cool. Some right, stuff cool. that works. Keeping busy, feeling better. That's what we're talking yes. about. Yes. Amen. Right. Jim, always a pleasure, my friend. And we'll talk to you next month. Okay, buddy? Thanks, Nick. All right. Jim Ryan, check him out. He writes about music. He writes about a lot of stuff and interviews and some legends, too. Uh, John Fogarty, Paul Stanley, uh, you know, uh, hosting uh, the Q&A and writing the uh, liner notes for the new Material Issue documentary. All that great stuff. You can check it out at RadioJimRyan.com. All right, let's say hello to, ooh, my favorite and yours, Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esma, I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda Leon. That's the theme. That means Esmeralda's here. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm heading off uh, after we finish uh, this recording. I'm heading off to see Adam Driver fight dinosaurs. Oh. Um, Yeah. And. They did not screen it and would not screen it for the critics. So hmm. <laughs> not, not a good hmm. sign. Yeah. Not a good sign. Although I, I don't quite understand why they wouldn't. It's like, hey, it's Adam Driver. It's dinosaurs. I love both of those things. Why not just screen it? Apparently. So is it always the 
Like it, it usually ends up that when they don't screen it for critics, it's not going to be good. Yeah, that's ninety percent of the time. If a film, when do you remember one that wasn't? There have been a, well, idiot- good. idiocracy. <laughs> Idiocracy, which was dumped by the studios completely, didn't screen it. They didn't. Mm-hmm. When Idiocracy played uh, in cities, mm-hmm. 20th Century Fox dropped it so hard that they didn't even give the title of the movie to the theaters that were cho- showing it. What? So, so I'm not kidding. When I looked in the paper, because I knew Idiocracy was opening. When I looked in the paper on the Friday that it opened, because there were no screenings, there was no press. They didn't even send out press kits or anything like that because you know they send out information for you know critics to you know to have all the information to talk about on their shows or to write about Mm -hmm. Uh, and they used to send press kits in the mail you know uh and they came in folders and stuff but obviously now it's all virtual and they send you all the information for you to write your piece or do your research on right they didn't even send anything out nothing no information i only knew about it because i was a mike judge I, i was a mike judge fan and i knew it was coming out and I saw it, oddly, at the same theater I'm going to to see right now in a little bit, at the same theater I'm going to to see uh, Adam Driver fight dinosaurs um, mm. uh, at that wonderful City North Theater there on Western near Diversity. Um, so I'm going to that theater. And uh, when we checked the newspaper, it mm-hmm. said the showtimes for the City North and in theater number whatever, the title was Untitled Mike Judge Project. I'm not kidding. That's crazy. I'm not kidding. They had no, they didn't give a shit about the movie at all, that they didn't even give the local theaters the the title of the movie. And in many cities yeah, across isn't the country. It, but couldn't they have just played it? Like, th- when they get whatever it is, what, so it probably was a an actual, uh, what's it called? That was a press release from film the- Film thing? Yeah. And on the my guess is that on the canisters of the films, it said uh-huh. "Untitled Mike Judge." Project. But also, couldn't you just play it? Yeah, but not in in time for the newspaper deadline because they probably got those prints the night before it opened. Oh, or, true. So, and you got a newspaper deadline, and in the newspaper it said, "I cut it out. I have it somewhere in a scrapbook where it actually said the 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 actual ad in the newspaper said Untitled Mike Judge Project.'" And did it say so? When you got to the theater, did it say no? Didn't have posters. Didn't have anything on them. It, it <laughs> didn't have anything it, on the little. Yeah, but like sign. when you when you went, were you just like untitled, untitled Mike yes. Judge movie, please? My t- <laughs> yes, my ticket said untitled Mike Judge project. I'm oh, not kidding. Wow. I mean, that's we- that. See, to me, like at the theater, wouldn't you just put it on the thing? Yeah, play the few minutes just and to see what maybe, pops up. Now, I went. I will say this: maybe they changed it, but I went because it's idiocracy. Mm-hmm. I went the moment the first show. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'm not gonna because I love my judge. So yeah. maybe after you know a few shows in, they changed it. They changed it on the marquee and whatever. They probably did. But when I went to the yeah. very first show on the very first day, they did not have the title of the movie. <laughs> they did not have the that's title of the movie. Crazy. Yeah. That's how. Far. And then, of course, Idiocracy turned out to be brilliant. And you know, years later, now it's considered like a classic, and it's prescient. Like we're living in that. It's a documentary. I mean, yeah, it's it, it it's was a documentary. A future. Yeah. Yeah, and we would all joke. I remember seeing it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is like this is going to be the future. This is just telling us the future. And Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it is, except the president, the wrestling president that uh, Terry Crews plays in that movie was better than mm-hmm. Trump. He was actually better right? than the real president. So, yeah. But no. So, yeah, that to, to answer your question, it, it, you know, there are exceptions. 
um, you know, for but when a studio like one, yeah, just one. <laughs> there was a film. There was a film in the eighties called The Beast, mm-hmm. uh, which Kevin Reynolds directed, and it starred Jason Patrick uh, and George Dzunza, and it was uh, a story about a Russian tank that gets lost in the middle of Afghanistan. And it's an extraordinary movie, but it got dumped by the uh, by the studio, and I can't remember what the studio was. But they dumped it. They didn't screen it for critics. And then I saw it, and I remember like going out of my way every week that I was on Roy's show for the three weeks that I was in theaters, mm-hmm. um, that going out of my way to talk about it. And people started to see it. It's called The Beast, and it was based on a play called The Beast of War. And it's with Jason it was, Patrick. Uh, it was distributed by Columbia. Okay. Pictures, well, they that means they anything. didn't they they dumped it into one. You played the Webster Place. Remember the Webster Place? Yeah, that That's was where, where you'd go see like hoity-toity movies. Yeah, one for of the a while. places. And so it was playing exclusively at the Webster, but they didn't screen it for critics. They didn't send out press kits. So I remember there are exceptions, but for the most part, when they don't screen it, it's going to be bad. Yeah, I'm and, a little curious, like why why you would do that to a movie. Um. Well, just like, it seems like you would do it just out of spite. I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this because they didn't want to invest money. Like the studios are like, we're not going to invest any money. Just dump it in the theaters. We will put our money towards advertising a movie that we know is good or will do well. Because they didn't yeah, think we'd make guess. any money. But, See, but, but that to you, me, it's like, why would you even put it out then? No, I agree. But the thing is, it's like, well, I don't understand this one, first of all, because uh, Adam Driver has a big following. Okay. Right. All right, so he's an Oscar-nominated actor. He's got a big following. The motherfucker is in Star Wars movies. Okay, so you yeah. know he's he's Kylo Ren. So right there, you've got that. And there's dinosaurs in it. I don't understand how you wouldn't get behind a movie that has Adam Driver and dinosaurs in it. Both of those are proven box office. You know what I mean? Things. Yeah. Well, my thing. I'm what I think they're doing is. They're just like, well, we don't need the critics yes. to say anything because yes. they know Adam Driver and they know it's dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, Adam they Driver, They don't need that's enough. critics. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, I will say this, though. Adam Driver was on, um, what the hell was he? Fallon. And I watched him. I, the only time I ever watch Fallon is if there's somebody on it that I like because I can't stand Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. But he was on, and, I, and that means, oh, shit, I got to watch Fallon. It's fun to watch Jimmy Fallon when somebody's good's on because I can fast forward through all the bullshit at the beginning, all the bits he does right. in his monologue go right to the interview and then like turn it off after that. Uh, but, but Adam driver, it was clear the way that Adam driver had presented himself and talked about the movie. It was clear that he knows the movie's bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Cause sometimes you'll get, like when Carrie Russell was on, um, uh, Kimmel talking about cocaine mm-hmm. bear, it was very obvious. Oh, well she can actually answer that question. Hold on. Oh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love this Hi, show. I know, but uh, you didn't like Cocaine Bear. That's why you were talking about it like that on Jimmy Kimmel, right? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love <laughs> no comment. this show. No comment, no comment. <laughs> but you can tell, and Adam Driver was talking like, he clearly was like, okay, I got to plug this movie even though I know it's shit. It was, that, it was that kind of an interview, you know what I mean? Because he's kind of the only person in it, essentially. No, that's it. Right? It's him and, and a kid. He's the main yeah, and it's a him, dinosaur. It's, it's him, a little kid. <laughs> And they're stranded, you know, 65 million years ago, and dinosaurs are after them. That would have been funny, though, to have the dinosaur doing it. A dinosaur in there? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah! Yeah! Man. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. So, and yeah. Driver won't do it, but the, the dinosaur will. 
<laughs> yeah, Adam Driver's not going to be here, but we do have a dinosaur from the movie. But so, we have anyway. a dinosaur from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but but sometimes, hey, maybe it'll be the idiocracy of this year. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, it could just be stupid fun. Yeah, and because he's Adam Driver I, and he's like, I'll I give need you an- to make uh, movies that are thinkers or whatever. I'll give you another one. Like, I'll give you. An, I'll give you another example that just came out. Um, they did not screen, but they did give us links for our laptop to watch, which is mm-hmm. now a thing. Like, if they're like, eh, it's not that good, here's a link. So now at least we can watch it at home. It's shitty. You know, you can watch it. I don't watch it on my TV. I don't have it hooked up, so I just watch it on the laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a really terrific movie called Marlowe came out earlier this year, which starred Liam Neeson. He played Philip Marlowe, and it was a film noir detective comedy uh, satire. That the mm-hmm. great Neil, Irish director Neil Jordan directed. And it's Liam Neeson and, and Jessica Lange. And it was a terrific movie. And it got dumped and, you know, barely got any release. Was not, there were no in-person screenings for critics. And they just like, yeah, if you want to watch it, here's a link. And then it turned out to be terrific. And I went to go see it in the theater because it was like really beautifully shot. So after I watched it on my laptop, I went to the theater to see it because it should be seen in theaters. So it's weird. How they how they handle what they think people are going to like and what they don't, right? Hey, they Which screen is that. They terrible because the f- it's just a bunch of dudes in a room. Yeah, well, I mean, they screen the they screen the goddamn Scream movie last Saturday on on a Saturday morning. I told you this. I yeah, they yeah. had a screening on a Saturday morning at ten a.m. of the Scream movie, a full week and a half. Does it, it open today? So, and I saw it last Saturday. I saw it a week beforehand. And you're not allowed to talk about it. There's an embargo. You're not allowed to talk about it or review it until the embargo is lifted. Mm-hmm. So I saw it, and I couldn't talk about how terrible it was for four days. <laughs> but they See, screen- and that's what they I'm screen- confused by. Like, why would you – well, maybe because they think it's good. The imp- I don't – here's the they thing. They believe in it, so then they're like, no, 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 the critics yeah. didn't see it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this. Let me just say this. A lot of people are giving the new Scream movie a good review. I'm not. I think it's terrible. But oh, a, lot of so people, <laughs> a lot of people have given it a good review. I think it's terrible. I think they should. When, when Wes Craven died, that series died, as far as I'm concerned. It died mm-hmm. with him, as far as I'm concerned, because the last two have been terrible. Um, but it's, I don't know what the thought process is behind it. And the embargo thing is always weird to me, because like, there's a movie that I just saw that I can't talk about mm-hmm. for another two weeks or a week and a half. See, and that's like, why would you then schedule your screening so far out? Well, I mean, you know, so so sometimes it's not up to them. Like, it's the, the studios put out the word and blah, blah, blah. And whenever you can show it to critics ahead of time, it's better because people get to write their, if they're, especially if they're writing reviews, it gives them Yeah, but both. if they're not, but if they're putting an embargo and you can't talk about it. Yeah, but you can write the review, just not release it. You know what I mean? Like you can actually. Oh, I see. You get your you know work I mean? done early. No, yeah, you can seriously. And a lot of people, and a lot of print, uh, you know, a lot of print journalists like that. You know, right? And I'm fi- They're I'm helping with, them out. They're like, don't talk about it, but you can write it. Well, it's, the other thing is, fun. like, I'm fine with that. However, whenever you want to, you know, see a movie, and usually it's usually a week to ten days is usually when we see the movies ahead of time, and then yeah. we, and sometimes the embargo is lifted early. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, you can talk about it now, but sometimes you can't talk about it for you know till the week it opens or till mm-hmm. a couple of days before it opens. And the thing that I don't understand about that, that's fine. I totally understand why they would want to embargo me on Scream 6 because I fucking hated it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they're like, you know, but, but this embargo of this movie that I can't talk about right now, um, that mm-hmm. I can't talk about for another 10 days or whatever for like a week and a half, is one of the best movies I've seen all year. Oh, and, yeah. So I don't understand. It's like, it's weird to me. Like the embargo thing, I talked to publicists about this and they're like, 
I'm like, don't you want good publicity, even if it's, you know, like, because this is a great movie. Don't you want me to talk about this as much and as often as possible? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because I have a I lot of followers. People, a lot of people listen to this <laughs> podcast. A lot of people listen to WLS. And a lot of people follow me on social media. And I can understand why they'd want me to shut up about Scream 6 because I hated it. Mm-hmm. But this other movie that I'm talking about that I just saw a couple of nights ago that doesn't open for two weeks is fantastic. And people should shout from the mountaintops about it. And it's a low-budget movie that a lot of people aren't going to see. So I don't know. I don't understand it. It's always been weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, And speaking of movies, are you going to watch the Oscars Sunday? Um, to tell you the truth, I forgot. Yeah, I don't blame you. When it was, <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I'm not. You know what? I'm a fucking film critic, and I and I keep forgetting. That I, I kind of. I mean, I kept hearing about it, but I honestly forgot when. It's Sunday night on ABC. Okay, seven o'clock. Yeah, like you telling me just now. I went, oh, yeah. No, you know <laughs> why? It was I'll tell you later. I, don't... I can tell you why, and this is a quote from one of the nominated movies. I'm boring man, you're all fucking boring. <laughs> With your piddling grievances over nothing, you're all fucking boring. I love her so much, <laughs> and she will not win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch it as I do every year. But I have to say, and I talked about this in the first part of the podcast today. Um, I don't remember a time when worse movies have been nominated. Uh, and and I don't remember a time when I have been absolutely, unbelievably less interested in anything that happens at the at the Academy Awards this year. Um, I, I I don't even know of the ten movies that are nominated. I think seven of them suck. <laughs> seven. Uh, two of them are okay, and one is great. Banshees of Inisherin is the only movie that's nominated in multiple categories, including Best Picture, that deserves to be there. The other ones, no. So, um, I don't know, but I mean, it's, you know, it's fun to watch, you know, I'm going to watch the red carpet and I'll see, and the only seriously, uh, Esmeralda, you know, the only reason mm-hmm. that I'm like, I'm really, I'm really excited for anything is because Andrea Riceborough is going to be there and she got nominated and, you know, I, I will watch her on the red carpet and I'm excited to see who she brings with her and what she wears. And when they ask her questions about the controversy surrounding her nomination and all that right. stuff how she handles that. And I will love it when they say Andre Rice Burroughs name. And then they show the clip from two Leslie, you know, that millions of people will be able to watch. Yeah. And then I will specifically zone in on the square where her face is as she's not the winner. You know what I mean? I will look, you know how they show the five <laughs> nominated yeah, actresses. Yeah, yeah. And the, I will just be, be specifically looking at Andrea Rice Burroughs face. So, that's the only thing that I'm looking forward to is just seeing her and seeing the clip from Two Leslie. That's that's basically it. Now, have you seen what have you seen of the of the of the you saw Banshees, right? Um, yeah, we saw Banshees of Inner Sharon. We saw everything everywhere all at once. Right. And uh Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> uh, and that's it. No Elvis. You didn't see Elvis? Didn't no. See? No, okay. So Triangle Top Gun. Sad- I mean, I haven't even seen all of the first one <laughs> of Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. You don't worry about it. So again, these are all. And shit. I was busy watching Mission Impossible movies. So See, now those are good. Those are good. <laughs> now the only other one that's in the it's, that's of the nominees because you mentioned Triangle of Sadness, which is a movie that I yes. that I really I really like until the last third. I don't like the island part, but yeah. uh, but that second part with the vomit and the shit is fantastic. Yeah, and, and Woody and Woody Harrelson is spectacular in it. And yeah. so 
Um, and it's funny. Uh, I was just at a screening for um, that movie that I can't talk about. Ah, yes. Um, and in the screening room, one of the other critics was in the back of the screening room bitching about how much he hate. We they, a movie that opens today uh, is a movie called Champions, and mm-hmm. it's with Woody Harrelson, and he plays a basketball coach who used to work with the uh, NBA who gets busted for drunk driving and has to do community service, and he must uh, coach a team of Special Olympics kids. Oh, yeah. On a basketball seen, team. Yeah, I've seen a trailer for it, yeah. And it's, it's, it's not, I mean, Bobby Farrelly, uh, the guy is, behind, you know, one of the, one of the Farrelly brothers behind, you know, all those classic sort of comedies, including uh, mm-hmm. uh, Kingpin, of which Woody Harrelson is in. And uh, in it, he plays this guy who's got to learn a lesson and, you know, teach these kids, you know, who are physically and mentally challenged uh, to mm-hmm. play basketball. And it's a feel-good movie. And, and the kids are all, are, are, are all uh, members of the Special Olympics. And, mm-hmm. so, and mm-hmm. they're showcased in the movie, and they're very funny, and they're, and they're charming. And it's really lovely to see them, to, to see these actors do the, do the job and, and have some fun with the part. Cheech of yeah. Cheech and Chong is in it. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and and Caitlin Caitlin Olson from uh, yeah, I like S- her. Sweet D from uh, you know Always Sunny is in it. Yeah, and it's not it's 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 a little manipulative and it's not perfect, but it's got its heart in the right place. Some of it doesn't work, but I kind of liked it, you know. And mm-hmm. so at this screening in the back of the screening room, this this critic was bitching about how much he hey, he was talking to somebody else, and, and you're in a small screening room, you can overhear everything, right? Bitching about the movie Champions, how he hated it, and how it was corny and blah blah blah. And then started to go on about how Woody Harrelson's the worst actor on the planet. Like, start screaming about how Woody, Woody Harrelson is terrible. And I, and I did everything, and I didn't say anything. I did everything in my power not to stand up and just start rattling off titles of movies that he's great in. Uh, I mean, he was also, we didn't finish watching it, but he was great on True Detective. Fucking f- fantastic on True Listen, I enjoyed him in that. And, and listen, he's great I on I hated Cheers. enjoyed him, because I hated his character, but I yeah, enjoyed no, no, him. Yeah, no, 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 I understand. Yes, I understand. Uh, but, 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 like, I mean, you just, I mean, he's great on Cheers. Like, what do you, he's great on Cheers. He's great. Oh, and right, like, yeah. I could say the, the, the Larry Flint movie, uh, three, mm-hmm. three Billboards, um, The Messenger, I mean, Zombieland. I can go on and on naming movies. A Triangle of Sadness. He's fantastic in that. Yeah. And but I did not get into this argument. But this guy was just ripping Woody Harrelson to shreds um, uh, because he hated him in this Champions movie. And mm-hmm. yes, Woody Harrelson is just basically being Woody Harrelson. But the movie's not about him; it's about the kids. It's a showcase for yeah. them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's doing what he should do. He's laying back and letting the the kids from the Special Olympics be the stars of the movie, which is what he's supposed to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I didn't go off and start screaming at this guy. Like, I mean, I mean, all I could I could have just said Larry Flint and then shut up because that's it. <laughs> People versus Larry Flint, you're done talking. You know what I mean? So, but that opens uh, the champions opens uh, today, and also White Men Can't Jump, which is one of the best basketball movies ever oh, made. Yeah. Which is why he mm-hmm. was cast in Champions. I mean, it all makes sense to me. So, I don't know. But anyway. Uh, but yeah, Triangle of Sadness. He was in Kingpin. I forgot God. he was in Kingpin. Classic. <laughs> Classic. And, and, and like, he's great in that. I just think, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, Triangle of Sadness is how we got into this because you saw that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw everything, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm one of the few people yes. on the planet that hates that movie, everybody. And that's good. Yes. It, by the way, Esmeralda, it, that's the one that's going to win everything. It's going to win picture. It's going to win director. Uh, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh uh, is going to win actress. 
Um, I don't know about Jamie Lee Curtis. I think Angela Bassett is going to win supporting actress. Uh, but, uh, you know, short round is going to win supporting actor. It's probably going to win screenplay director and all that stuff. So it's going to, it's going to, it's going to sweep the awards, which is another reason I don't give a shit. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, anyway. So, uh, but you know, Hey, red carpet, all that shit. Maybe someone will slap somebody, you know, maybe somebody will get up on the stage and slap somebody again. Oh yeah. And then there was that. I don't know if you saw that. So, Um. On Netflix. What? Oh, um, the the Chris Rock. What's his face had? Yeah, the, it was a whole live thing or whatever. Yeah, I watched it and it wasn't good. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing. It's not good. <laughs> I it's heard not it was good. not good. No, it's not. It's not. There's it's a lot like, of ranting. He, you know, I watched the whole thing and I love Chris Rock. I watched the whole thing and about it's about an hour and ten minutes long. The last ten minutes is finally when he gets to what everybody's waiting for is the is the yeah. Will Smith stuff. Um, and it's not good. It's not insightful. There's nothing about it. It's like him screaming and making jokes about the movie Concussion. And it's yeah, not good. that's that's essentially yeah. That's been everyone's consensus that he's essentially just old man yelling about yeah. Old man yells at cloud like yeah. No, that's like, it. Okay. And and all of the stuff before it because he's divorced now and so he's got you know material about being single again. But that's mm-hmm. all recycled from shit he did 20 years ago. It's it seemed right. to me it just seemed like. Topics that he's covered many, many times before and a lot better. And then when he gets to the to the Will Smith stuff, it's just not good. <laughs> so, Yeah, because, uh, I yeah. mean, there's not that much. Honestly, I mean, it was a very small moment. It was. And like, he goes. The time, know, he... the time, like, you know, to talk about it. It's like, that's all that happened. It'd be different if like something happened after or something crazy or something well, this and that. He, and it's like, what else are you going to talk about, man? Well, but, but they were friends and there was the, the weird well, tension. Not anymore. <laughs> there was the weird tension between him and Jada because he made a joke at the Oscars years ago. Right. Uh, and Jada has been pissed about that ever since. And he does go after Jada and will for having the, you know, the, the, the red table talk where she interviewed him about her fucking some other guy that he does. Oh, talk, yeah. He does talk about that, but any sort of like insight into what happened or true feelings uh, are clouded by him just yelling and screaming about Will Smith being bigger than him and slapping him. And he might get a concussion like the movie he was in called concussion. Like that's the extent, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that's his, no, seriously, it's, it's really not good. <sighs> It's really, really not good. So any sort of insight that we were hoping to get about their relationship, their friendship, how it affected them, what happened behind the scenes, none of that is in it. He went screaming, let's make one joke about concussion route Mm. and poke a little Mm. bit at Jada Pinkett, which is, you know, an easy target. We've already got right. Yeah. I was very disappointed with it. And I love Chris Rock. I love him, but uh, very disappointed. I was disappointed in the whole thing. In the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, no, that's what I'm hearing for the most part. People yeah. are, uh, that's the consensus yeah. on the internets. So maybe somebody will get slapped and, and late next year they'll do a good comedy special this year. <laughs> I would like Andrea Riceboro to go up and Someone's just getting it set the- up. They're like, come on, just somebody just slap me. It'll be Wouldn't a Andrea, It would be cool if Andrea Riceboro went up and slapped somebody. She, <laughs> God, Lord. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, she's already had enough controversy this year. Right. Because God, God forbid she got nominated. Oh, my God. That can't be. So, yeah. I don't know. But I love Jimmy Kimmel, and I'm sure that he'll be, you know, because he's great when he hosts. 
And the, you mm-hmm. know, and you remember mm-hmm. what happened the last time he hosted Esmeralda? Was it the, when the the whole mix up? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's not his fault. He no, it's not. But that was he the wasn't last handing time he, out the envelopes. It, it wasn't. And also, <laughs> by the way, you know, Warren Beatty gets blamed for it. It wasn't Warren Beatty's fault. Right, because he was looking all confused by he it. He was. It was Faye Dunaway. She went nuts. Faye Dunaway's like, yeah. give me that. Yeah, because he looked at the thing. He looked at the thing, and they had Emma Stone. They had a, the second copy of Emma Stone's Best Actress. Yeah. And he looked at it and said Emma Stone, and, and, and then the, in big letters it said La La Land. And he looked at it and, and was like, what? And then he was, if you watch, watch it back, he's like looking at it. He's very confused. He doesn't say anything. And then Faye Dunaway grabs it out of his hand and goes, La La Land. <laughs> Like damn it, Faye Dunaway. And then he, and then as La La Land is coming up, Warren Beatty like go, and then they realize in the in the in, on the wings, the people realize that the the thing was announced wrong, and Warren yeah. Beatty goes to the guys, you know, with the briefcases and shows it to him and goes, "Look, I didn't, you know, she said it. I didn't." <laughs> I then, I did love the look on um uh Ryan. Gosling's face. Oh, it's hilarious. Cracking up. It's hilarious. <laughs> and actually, have you ever seen the, the still of the audience? No. Oh, God. Look it up, Esmeralda. Look it up. Because the funniest response, because people are like, <gasps> like their mouths are dropped open. They're all in yeah. shock. The, the, best, the best one um, is, God, one person's laughing, and I can't remember who is laughing. But if you look at The Rock, he's like, oh, like his eyes are wide open. His mouth is dropped. Like he's like, you know. And this I guy, love the this rock, guy, like it's like this guy was matter this, to you, this, sir. <laughs> this guy spent, a, you know, and the rock is there, like he's in the third row, and he's the most shocked. And this guy spent twenty five years in a business where everything is predetermined. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got <laughs> the, the out- eyebrow. <laughs> I'm the looking out- at the thing. Oh, now. are you looking at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the guy who spent twenty five years in a business where the winners are predetermined, and he was like shocked, the most shocked of everybody. <laughs> But yeah, no. So that's the last time Jimmy Kimmel hosted, and I remember everybody yeah. going off on Warren Beatty. Oh, that old man, blah blah blah. He said like, he didn't do anything wrong. Warren Beatty like, didn't, didn't do anything do wrong. Nothing. Didn't do anything wrong. So anyway, I Moonlight. don't see anyone laughing. There okay. is some blurry men in the back laughing, yeah. but everyone but, in the forefront's kind of like. But Go- Gosling's reaction was the best. <laughs> Gosling's reaction yeah. was the best. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. It was the best. All right, real quick magic megaphone, okay, Esmeralda? Because we're yes. already running out of time because I've been yapping <laughs> in here. And then. Uh, so, all right, here, here. So here it is. This is from Shelly in Michigan, and I'll play it back, and it has everything to do with what we're talking about, Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. So I'll play it back. Here we go. This is Kelly, or sorry, Stacy. Stacy, sorry. Stacy in Michigan. Oh, okay. I don't care either. I don't care either. <laughs> I don't care either. So. I don't care either. Right. I don't care either. So, I don't care. All right. So, th- all right. You should keep that. Well, for the Oscar. Well, that's what Stacy was. Uh, that's what her. That's what her request was. She heard me or saw me, you know, talking about it on, uh, you know, on Facebook and on, uh, you know, uh, on the show. Uh, and and in response to the uh, to the Oscars, she re- agrees with me and says, "I don't care either. <laughs> I don't care either." So she doesn't care about the Oscars either. So that's our magic megaphone. Stacy in Michigan does not care about the Oscars. There you go. But I will watch it anyway. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. But you didn't even know. I mean, so uh, uh, you, I kind of. I mean, I remember. I know that was happening soon. I just didn't. I couldn't tell you when. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's this I mean, Sunday. now I know. But you know. Yep. This Sunday. 
I, and again, I'm just like, you know, like I'll, I'll watch all the red carpets. I watch it all every year, regardless. You know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. do. Um, it's just that this year, so much of it is bad that I just don't care who wins or whatever happens. I, I will be happy, like, if for some reason Colin Farrell wins, because there is a slight chance that he still could win. Mm-hmm. I don't think he will, because I think they're going to give it to, to Elvis Boy. Um, but uh, But if Colin Farrell wins, that'll be the one thing that will surprise me and make me happy right so, right so. because there's no way that she's gonna win. boring man you're all fucking boring with your piddling grievances over nothing you're all fucking boring right that to me sums up what's <laughs> going to be happening that night so anyway all right hey let's do a kit kat taste test Yes. Now, one of your Kit Kats actually is very timely, as we've been talking about movies. It is. I didn't what even is, plan it. Didn't even plan it, but this is your Kit Kat taste test. These are Kit Kats that we've been testing from uh, taste testing from around uh, Asia, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to move on to Mexican candy uh, the next time. Yes. Uh, which will be so much fun. Uh, but, okay, so this, this particular uh, Kit Kat that you're going to taste test has something to do with one of the movies that came out this week. Right. It's so it's uh the Talking Hands series which is just sign language. Um but it's all like horror people. It was you had did you have what did you have vampires? Did you I have had a ghost? yeah, I had a I had the uh a vampire and uh and a wolfman. Oh, okay. I had Freddy Krueger at one point. Right. Um and I believe a vampire. Right. And now you have um, Ghostface. Ghostface. Scream 6, which, by the way, is terrible. Uh, Scream 6 is out. But it's Ghostface doing uh, Friends, the sign language for Friends. Sign language for Friends. You know why? Because Courtney Cox is in. (laughs) He loves Friends. He loves Friends so much. (laughs) And Courtney Cox is in Scream. So, uh, all right. So why don't you taste what? what, Let's see what your Ghostface taste test. Meanwhile, I'm going to taste milk tea. Which I think this one might just be plain. I remember one of them was like... Like a regular Some potato. No, they actually the, the 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 vampire or the wolfman that I tried. It was like a regular Kit Kat. There was nothing special yeah. about it. Yeah, I think this one is a regular Kit Kat. As well, well, this is. I'm going to try milk tea. You're going to try regular Kit Kat, who just happens to be Ghostface. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just plain. Regular. <laughs> mm. Plain Kit Kat. Not bad though. Mm, Always tea. good. Milk tea. We tried this one before. mm Hmm. Delicious. I think I liked it. I don't remember. No. no. It's delicious. It's very creamy and a real strong tea taste. Very good. Are you a are you a tea drinker at all? Um I haven't had tea yes, to answer your question. I do drink tea. Um I you cozy to, up with a cup of well, tea. <laughs> I used to drink it a lot. One when I was when I was uh still consuming caffeine. Mm-hmm. And then when I stopped caffeine I would drink it. You know, uh, the decaffeinated, the herbal, herbal, herbal. But uh, I would drink yeah. it. I would drink it when I was doing theater. If I was in a play, and I was uh, doing radio, mm-hmm. because I would lo- I would lose my voice. Oh right, right. So yeah. I would drink it a lot. Like especially, I was in this play called Among the Dead, which was this zombie play, mm-hmm. and I screamed every line, and I was the lead. Oh yeah, and I screamed every line. <laughs> So, and I remember specifically losing my voice a couple of times, and I drank a lot of tea during that time period. Interesting. And I like tea. So how I does this tea. add up? 
It's good. It's creamy. It's like cream. It's like tea with cream. I'm assuming it's, it's just like a black tea with milk. Yeah, that's what it tastes like. It has a wonderful sort of strong tea taste, but it's creamy. And the, and it's a white chocolate kind of cream. Mm. So, all right. So Ghostface is just regular. He's a, he's a regular. Yeah, that's just, it might be dark chocolate, but I okay. can't really. It's sweet. So I think it's just plain. So I thought I'd go with tea and coffee. So now I'm going with coffee yeah. break. Mine is... Mine is a dark matcha. Mm, okay. So I'm assuming it's a dark chocolate with matcha. Mm. Um, but mine is cute because it has a little blank space and then it says, um, so it's blank space and then it says, because of you, I'm, I was relieved. So like, I think what you're supposed to do is like, give this to someone. Oh, you're supposed to write their name and be like, thank you for helping me out. Here's a well, Kit Kat. Uh, the coffee one is very good. Very good. Coffee break. Very good. Very coffee. Like, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, I'm all proud of myself for saying, hey, I haven't had caffeine in a long time. I've been eating this shit. And there's caffeine. There's caffeine. In oh, that has to be the most minimal amount of caffeine. I know. <laughs> I know. But I'm like, I'm all proud of myself. Been 20 years, you know, 20, it's 20 years this month, last month, 20 years since I've had caffeine. But yeah, here this I is am like eat, the most. Eat, eating Kit Kats and stuff, and, you know. I mean, but if you eat chocolate, doesn't chocolate have caffeine? It does. Yeah. Well then. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not I, 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 like the amount of caffeine that I used to ingest, Esmeralda, was insane. Well, yeah, of course, but you know, if you want to be real, yeah. But it's not like I about I, it. It's not, but it, yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's not like I eat like five gallons of of chocolate a day. I'm, you know what I mean? Okay. But it's yeah. only two. <laughs> yeah, two gallons. Down, I'm down to two gallons. Yeah. Oh, good. So, and how was your? How was? How was the? Uh, this the, was delicious. The lovely message. Of, the nice message, is, uh, Kit Kat. This is part of the adult sweetness oh, okay. series. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. This is for the grown-ups, the grown-up grown Kit Kats. Cool. All right. Well, I think we've we are, we have uh, we've now are repeating ourselves on the Kit Kats. I have a few left, so I'm just going to eat those. And then yeah, I think all of mine are just repeats now. Yeah, they're just so plain let's old. Do, Let's do Mexican candy next time. We'll pick out we'll we'll pick out from the sack of Mexican candy that you and I went and purchased uh, mm, yes. a few weeks back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, cool. All right, so that's uh, that's next time. It went by fast today, Esmeralda, because I kept bitching about the Oscars. I apologize. <laughs> and I, I, time uh, flies when you're yelling about things. Yeah. God damn it, Nick. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, hi, I'm Carrie. Russell, All right, Carrie. I love Nick's show. All right, hey, next time uh, Dan Feinberg is going to join us uh, to talk mm. TV, and I think he's going to watch the Oscars uh, broadcast. So we will. Oh yeah, yeah. We will yeah. discuss. We will discuss how the television broadcast of the Oscars went. So hopefully, you can yell some more. <laughs> I can yell some more, and hopefully, someone will get slapped across the face again. So. Good. So we have that to look forward to. So Dan Feinberg will be with us next time. My thanks to uh, Jim Ryan uh, for uh, a, a really lovely visit. Uh, he was sick for a little while, Esmeralda. Uh, mm. Like had had a pretty pretty good illness going for a little while, but he's Oof. feeling better. So he's back in it, and we had a great time talking music. Uh, and uh, and thank you for listening. And if you want to be a part of the podcast as a sponsor, advertise with us. Sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to be a, uh, a, be a part of the podcast and general voicemail with your megaphone message or any kind of message, 773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the sounds and the music and all that cool stuff. And Ed and everybody at radiomisfits.com. Uh, and then check out my other podcast, which is uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Uh, and uh, in it, uh, the le- in the latest episode that's out now, 
uh, Esmeralda. I talk about mm. really, really amazingly talented, legendary comic performers who got snubbed by SNL. They auditioned and didn't make it. Oh. Yeah. So there's a lot of amazing people that just did not make the cut. So that's that's uh, at, uh, that's at RadioMisfits.com, too. So thanks, Esmeralda. Thanks to everybody. And we'll see you next time on uh, the Nick D Podcast right here at RadioMisfits.com. The wind is red on me.